Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. Well, it, I, I don't want to burst your bubble this morning, but it's two weeks before Christmas. So if your shopping's not done, Amazon might not get it to you. It, it's Christmas, and, and of course, it's, it's one of those holidays that carry so many traditions many of which occur right in the church. And many of you have celebrated Advent before during the Christmas season, which is really the religious celebration of of Christ's arrival. That's what Advent means, arrival. And we celebrate that usually the four Sundays prior to Christmas Day. And again, Advent means the coming of or the arrival of. And so each week uh, of Advent is often celebrated by lighting another candle on the traditional Advent wreath as a kind of countdown to Christmas. Um, Each week also serves as a reminder of what arrived or came with Jesus as we prepare our hearts and celebrate his first arrival. Traditionally, Christians think of hope, love, joy, and peace on those four Sundays leading up to Christmas. And and as much as I love all that tradition, and even the messages that go uh, with those themes and how they weave into the Christmas story itself, as much as I love all that, I enjoy, and I I really do enjoy all the celebration of that first arrival, that Christmas. I, I, I still find it hard, I find it difficult at this time of year to keep my heart from kind of wandering away from celebrating his first coming, and start longing and even getting excited for his second coming, which of course is yet to come. And so this morning, I I thought it might be interesting to take a look and compare these two magnificent events. And there are some similarities. I'm not going to get into the similarities this morning. I have a long enough message without them. But there are distinct biblical differences between his first and second coming that I want to talk about today. And number one, is the reality of his coming. And on his first arrival, I want to go right to the scripture, Luke 2, 2 and 2, 4 through 7. It says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was uh, of the house and lineage of David. And he went there to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Verse 6, and while they were there, the the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. The reality of his first arrival is that Jesus actually stepped out of heaven. I think we just heard that in worship, and they didn't even know what I was going to preach on. They just, the reality of it is Jesus stepped out of heaven and came to this earth. This was the incarnation. Everybody say incarnation. Incarnation Incarnation of God. And incarnation means um, uh, God becoming flesh. That's what it means. God himself became flesh and blood. This is the moment in history when the word of God itself became flesh. It's hard to get your mind wrapped around that Possibly, maybe you're smarter than I, but as I sat and thought about that, the living word of God, the word, the word of God became living and it became flesh and blood that first Christmas, that first arrival. Jesus is the word of God. He always has been and he always will be. And again, if you can kind of wrap your, your mind around this, it's the truth, all truth 
How many know all truth comes from God? It just does. He's the source of it. He's the embodiment of it. He is, by definition, the truth. So all of truth, all that truth is, all who God is, the goodness that his truth represents, that truth became flesh that first Christmas. The word literally became tangible flesh and blood to us. This is the very reason that we not only can know what the truth is, we can know who the truth is. Because it became flesh. Jesus is the word of God. He's the embodiment of the truth. He is the word made flesh. And this is the reality of what took place on that first arrival. And the humility that he came with. This is really beyond our comprehension. He came in the most humble way imaginable. We, we talk about how he stepped out of heaven and became man. He became flesh. What does it mean to step out of heaven? It means he left all of it. Well, what did he leave? Our minds can't comprehend the vastness of, of riches, the glory, the majesty, the absolute magnificence of heaven. We can't get our mind wrapped around that. So it's hard to, to really think, what did he leave? But he came in the most humble way possible. This is God himself, the one through which all things were created. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing, everywhere, all the time. I mean, he can do anything, and he could have come any way in which he wanted, but he decided to arrive on that first Christmas night as a little boy, a little baby boy, born in a barn to a young virgin girl named Mary. He was laid in an animal feeding trough and surrounded by all the smells of the animals that were in the stable that night. We live in Iowa. We know what it smells like to drive down a country road in Iowa, don't we? They were in the barn. All those smells were there. How many know that's true? This is how Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, he left his glory, which we can't even imagine, and he allowed himself to be born like this? It was a scene that was the epitome of humility. It could have, he could have been born anywhere. Could have arrived with all the accolades that he deserved, but the reality of his first coming was that very few people even realized it was happening. Except for a few shepherds, Mary, Joseph, and several wise men who would later arrive, his arrival was somewhat veiled in secret. Even those who denied access, I mean, even those who denied access to a real room for him to be born in, were oblivious to who this baby was. A new star appeared that announced his arrival and, of course, led the wise men to Bethlehem. But, but think about how many people didn't even notice the star. This was a humble beginning, and except, again, for the angels singing to the shepherds, his arrival was quiet. There was a gentle holiness to it. It was without excessive fanfare. The God of the universe stepped out of heaven and became flesh and blood, and it was relatively unnoticed. It was Emmanuel, finally, God with us. God with us. That was his first arrival, the reality of his first arrival. Uh, arrival. The, the reality of his second arrival is this. It's going to be much different. Jesus will return in power and glory, accompanied by all the armies of heaven, his second coming will be a grand event, visible to all. 
Matthew 24, 27 says, For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. How many know when there's a beautiful thunderstorm, it's easy to sit out on the deck and watch it roll in. And that lightning, when it lights up the sky and goes across, we sit in awe and wonder, don't we? As the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, as it fills the sky, so will the coming of man be. Matthew 24, 30, 31, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. This is a different event. It's his second arrival. Very different from his first arrival. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of, the, of an archangel, and with the trumpet sound of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together. This is the rapture. Caught up together. That's what that's describing. Uh, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. This is a different event. This is a big deal. Everyone will see all of his glory. The reality of a second coming is that when it happens, and it will, he will not be that helpless baby born in a barn and laid in a manger. He will come back in all of his glory <coughs> and all of his power. I'm going to have to have somebody get me a glass of water or something, so if somebody would run and do that, that'd be great. He will come back in all of his power. Revelations 19, 11 through 16. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, <coughs> and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. Verse 12, his eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron." He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Church, this ain't no little baby in a manger no more. I mean, he came as an infant, but he will return as the infinite. He arrived in humility, basically unnoticed the first time, but his second arrival will be the most glorious and fearful sight that human eyes have ever seen. The quiet arrival of his birth will be overshadowed by his earth-shaking return, folks. There was no room for him in the inn on the night of his first arrival, but the whole earth will not be able to contain his glory when he comes for the second time. This is Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. It's the reality of his second arrival. It couldn't be more opposite. <clears throat> and then you have the differences in his reception, how he's received. In his first arrival, jump into the scripture, Matthew 2, 13 through 14. Thanks, buddy. We don't want a dry message. <laughs> How many times have you laughed at that joke? Come on. That was a courtesy laugh if I've ever heard one. 
Matthew 2, 13 through 14 says, Now when they had departed, it's talking about the wise men, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and he took the child and his mother by night, and he departed to Egypt, which is part of prophecy, by the way. Then Matthew 2, 16 through 18, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, because they didn't come back and tell him where the baby was, because they were warned, he became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all the region who were two years old or under. We don't really hear about that during the Christmas story too often, do we? Jesus is born, praise the Lord, and all the baby boys, two and under, were killed. According to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. Can you imagine the genocide? She refused to be comforted because her children were no more. And this is the reception that Jesus got the first time he arrived. He's born, and almost instantly, world leaders are trying to kill him. That's the reality of that. That's, his, that's, the, that's the first arrival reception that he got. Jesus is warned, and they escape the genocide of all male babies to and under in Bethlehem and the surrounding region. And as you know, his reception didn't change as he grew older. And he began ministering. John 1.11 says it just really clearly. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. His true, un, his true identity was unrecognized by many upon his first arrival. They may have been expecting a savior, but, but this guy could not be it. He didn't fit the mold of the savior they had in mind. They wanted a conqueror. Not this humble baby born in a poor family that grew up in a carpenter's house and eventually walked around teaching the people and praying for him. So he was rejected. That's his reception. Rejection. Rejected because they misunderstood and disregarded him. Many thought him to be a heretic, even a menace. He was betrayed. He was mocked. He was rejected. He was neglected and eventually murdered, crucified by the very people he came to save. I mean, this is who they had been praying for. This is who they had been desperately hoping for, for generations. And when he finally arrives, they, they, they treated him like a lamb led to slaughter. Matthew 27, 22 through 23 says, Pilate said to them, he, and he's talking to the, the Jewish people. He says, then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. Not much of a reception. But know this, he's going to be received much differently the second time he arrives. In his second arrival, we'll jump into Scripture again, Revelations 1, 7 through 8. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come. I am the Almighty. When Jesus returns 
every eye from every corner of the world is going to see him. And all people, both those who have believed in him and those who have rejected him, will recognize his glory and power. They'll see it, they'll know it, they'll recognize it. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says, Therefore, God was highly exalted, or God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. They rejected him the first time. The second time, his reception will be different because they're going to kneel before him and declare him as king and Lord of all. Revelations 5.13, And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. This is Jesus. This is a different reception. There are those who rejected Jesus when he came the first time. There are those who are still rejecting him. Those who will not receive him into their lives as Lord and Savior. Those who maybe want to do a little lip service to him, but won't really submit fully to him. They rebel and resist. They don't want to give him the reception he deserves. But when he arrives the second time, the reception is going to be different. Those who did not receive him as Lord or declare him as God, those who wouldn't bow and bend to his will the first time, they will all kneel before him and declare him as Lord the second time. And don't think of this as being something that he forces them to do, like physically makes them. I, I, I thought about this a lot. I don't think God is like that, like he's just going to force them to do it. But what happens is the glory, the majesty, the awesomeness that he is, when it is revealed and, and because of the, the magnitude of that glory, there's just no choice. You just fall to your knees. There's no choice. It's not like he's got to make them. Every tongue will confess. Even the forked tongue of Satan himself, that lying snake and all of his demonic cohorts, they will have to confess that he is Lord. The first time he came, his reception included the wise men bringing him expensive gifts. and That was part of his reception the treasures of this world. In his second arrival, it'll involve Jesus himself bringing eternal gifts to us, heavenly treasures and rewards for those that are his true followers. He will receive those people. His reception the second time will involve receiving us. So we have the reality in which he'll come, the reality of his first and second comings, and we have the uh, reception, how he's received in his first arrival and second arrival, very different. And three, the reason, the purpose, the reason. His first arrival, Luke 19, 10, says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Why did he come? To seek and save the lost. John three sixteen gives us more of the reason why he came 
Why, why, why he came in that first Christmas. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The reason for Jesus' first coming was to reveal God's love and his redemptive plan, his plan of salvation through his sacrificial death on the cross. A sacrifice that would allow once and for all a pathway for all mankind to be reconciled with God. I'm so thankful for that message of the gospel, aren't you? That good news that we can have a path, we have a way to get there. In other words, his ultimate reason for coming the first time was to die as a ransom for many. To serve and not be served. To live as that suffering servant. Only to be put to death for the benefit of those that would believe in him and confess him as Lord of their lives. He came the first time to give us the gospel message of grace and mercy. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Did you catch that? Grace is getting what you don't deserve. We don't deserve eternal life. That's the grace of God. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. Because of grace, we can experience mercy. We don't, we don't get what we do deserve, which is death and hell. Because there's not one of us in here who's holy enough to stand before God in and of ourselves and say, I am good enough to come into heaven. But one drop of his blood applied to our heart, then we're good enough. See, that's one thing that's crazy about Christianity and so true. It's the only religion in the world that's everything to do with what God did for man, not what man does for God. That's what sets us apart. That's why the gospel is such good news. We get what we don't deserve and we don't get what we do deserve. His message is love. He loves you no matter what. He pursues you with passion. He desires a relationship with you. He longs to commune and fellowship with you on a personal level. And he doesn't expect you to become perfect. He just wants you to fall in love with him. And out of that love and that relationship, a life of holiness will be birthed. It will flow. It will grow. You want to grow in holiness? It's, it's, it's an argument for the ages. You can try all you want in and of yourselves. You're not going to get there. But if you'll fall in love with Jesus more and you'll get closer to him in relationship and you'll spend more time with him and you just fall in love with him, guess what? Holiness flows out of your life. That's the way it works. Upon his first arrival, he brought us grace. Forgiveness through repentance. He brought us beauty for ashes. But in his second arrival, what's the reason? He, he's not going to be offering grace. The day of grace as we know it will have come to an end. And his purpose will be to judge the nations and everyone in them. What a nice Christmas message, Pastor Barry. I just want you to know the truth. He will establish his kingdom on this earth and will rule and reign for a thousand years. Perfect leadership. Wow. That's something to be excited about. There will be no political campaigns for him to be the ruler. I mean, come on, church. There will be no political campaigns. Mm, 
That is going to be a good thing. Perfect leadership. And it's not going to be a democracy. Think about that. We love our democracy, don't we? It's not going to be a democracy. It will be a theocracy. And we normally think of that as a bad thing, but when Jesus sits on the throne of that theocracy, when perfection and sinlessness, when righteousness and truth itself sits on that throne, no one is going to question the validity of his majesty and his authoritative right to be there. No one will question it. He will judge the world. We've already read the scripture, but here it is again. Revelation 19, 11 through 16. Now I saw heaven open to behold a white horse, and he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges. I don't want to be judged. Don't judge me. He judges. Quit judging me. I shouldn't be judged. He judges. You can't judge me. Nobody can. He judges and makes war. His eyes were like flame of, a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. He has fire in his eyes. You guys know that song? And a sword in his hand. That's what I was singing about. I, I, I sang, Jared, I'm sorry. I know you said something about that. I couldn't help it. And his name is called the Word of God. They followed him on white horses. Verse 15, now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations. That's not a love tap, folks. That's judgment. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of the Almighty God. People will shake in their boots. They will tremble at the awesomeness of God. And he is love. All evil will be defeated. Whew. No more lying. No more manipulations. No more insecurity. No more shame. No more sickness. No more hate. Gossip. No more jealousy. No more out of control fits of rage. Evil will be defeated. The enemies of God will be judged and sentenced. Revelation 20, 1 through 4 says this, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the, bottom, to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones... And seated on them were those who, to whom the authority to judge was committed. That's those who make the rapture, by the way. Reigning and ruling with Christ. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Amen. And it's interesting 
as time races towards his second arrival, the world we live in seems to demand justice at an accelerated rate. Have you noticed that? We want justice. There's got to be justice. Humanity longs for what they feel to be real justice. And as you know, many resort to violence to get it. We'll do whatever we can to get justice. And we're justified in our violence because we want justice. The problem is that this cry for justice is accompanied with the popular mantra of don't judge me. But I want you to think about this a second. You can't have justice without judgment. You can't. You cannot have justice without judgment. In order for justice to be administered, someone has to judge. And true justice can only come from a perfect judge. There are no perfect judges in this world, no perfect laws, no perfect political or legal systems. So true justice isn't going to really happen to its fullness. We'll see little flickers of it maybe, little pockets of it here and there. But then he arrives the second time and we'll see justice. Jesus didn't even receive justice the first time he arrived. He was the most innocent man who ever lived, yet he received the worst punishment of anyone who's ever walked on the face of this earth. He said, well, other people have been killed and murdered. And he bore the weight of the world's sins. Everyone's. He bore that guilt, that weight. He carried that on him. He carried all of your shame, all of your guilt. And he did it for every person who ever existed, whether they were going to accept him or not, so that they would have the opportunity to. He himself never sinned. He was perfect, but he bore the weight of the world's sins. But when he arrives a second time as the perfect judge, he will administer perfect justice. And we're imperfect people living in an imperfect world who are ruled by imperfect people using imperfect systems. But we are imperfect people who have found the truth of Jesus Christ, the one who takes away the sin of the world and calls those who love him righteous. So that means you and I are righteous in his sight. It means that we have given ourselves over to his lordship and are born again followers of the one true righteous judge. But we still live in this imperfect world with this imperfect systems. We celebrate his coming at Christmas because without that first coming, we'd have no hope for a second coming. We welcome the grace and mercy that he brought through his birth, ministry, death, and resurrection. It opened the door for us to change. There's no doubt about that. It's to change, um, you know, these hearts. And if you're like me, I, I, when I think of my old heart that got changed, it was calloused. It was mad. It was angry, full of rage and guilt and shame. But all that he did in that first coming, the whole purpose for that first coming was to give me an open door to see all that changed. We've all got that, to find our personal freedom. But it's his second arrival that will bring with it the eternal victory that he's promised. It'll come in its fullness at that point. And it's only promised to those who experience the truth surrounding his first arrival. My challenge to you today is this. Let the first arrival of King Jesus 
melt your hearts this Christmas season. The reason, the purpose of his first arrival, the grace and the mercy, the gospel message, all that he did, the fact that he became God with us, that the incarnation happened, God became flesh. Let that melt your heart this Christmas season. Cling to him and let your relationship with him become more intimate than it's ever been before. See, it's time, church, that we stop playing around with the things of this world. I love Jesus. You love Jesus? Yeah. Well, then we all need to live like we love Jesus. And again, I'm not talking about striving to be better. Just fall in love with him. Let your heart melt and let him come in and be in that love relationship with you because out of that will flow holiness. All, all, out of that will flow a desire to be like him. And I know there's a lot of people in here who struggle with different things. I know the struggle's real, whether it's with sin or with the effects of sin. Maybe it's the effects of somebody else's sin. Maybe it's the effects of sin that's just in this world that's affected you. It's not a guilt trip this morning. I know the struggles are real. But let Jesus Christ melt your heart. Let him get in there and kind of just soften it all up. Fall in love with him all over again this first Christmas season. That's my challenge to you. You see, if you understand the reason for his first arrival and you act on it, only then will you be able to enjoy the reason for his second arrival. The truth is, how you receive him in conjunction with this first arrival will determine the reality you experience upon his second arrival. You hear what I'm saying? You're going to receive him now, or are you going to be forced to kneel before him and miss the grace that he offers now? You're going, to bow, you're going to bend the knee one way or the other. I say do it on this side of his second coming, because then you can enjoy the second coming. Will you welcome his kingdom as a member of one of the chosen ones, or, or will you be left out because your own refusal to bend your knee when grace and mercy are available? See, that there's not going to be an out for those who refuse to receive the Lord on this side of his second coming. I know that grace, we can't fathom how deep grace reaches. I, I get that. But I also know what the Word of God says. The day of grace will come to an end, and the day of judgment will come. If you miss grace, then you'll only get judgment. There's no highway option or choice to use a lifeline. The lifeline is the opportunity that we have today. And, and I got to tell you, I believe that time is running short. I can't prove it, but I believe it. I feel it in my spirit. I believe that the trumpet of God is already at the archangel's lips. If it's not, he's going like this. He's getting ready to crack open the sky with his mighty blast and 
Jesus in all of his glory is going to return. Are you ready? Only you and Jesus can answer that. But truthfully, truthfully, judging yourself rightly, taking all the the fluff out of it, being completely self-aware, are you ready? If you're living in and willfully committing sin, then you're not ready. Let me just say it like it is. If you've been pushing relationship with God away, then you're not ready. He's coming for a church that's ready to receive him because they've been welcoming him all along into their hearts and lives. He wants you. He desires a relationship with you. He desires an intimacy with you. And if it makes you feel uncomfortable this morning for me to say those things, then I am not sorry. I'm really not. Are you ready? Would you bow your heads this morning? Lord, we think about the season and the beauty of it, the, the magnificence of it, the joy and the, the hope and the peace and the love that we celebrate, God, surrounding Christmas, your first arrival. And God, we love all that and we, we hold it close to our hearts, we hold it close to ourselves because, God, it is our salvation. But Lord, it points us to something else. You're coming back. And we want to be ready. I suspect that there's those here this morning, and you, I, maybe you're questioning your salvation. Maybe you know your salvation's fully intact, but you know that you've been playing a, maybe a little too many games. And you've got to go after God again like you used to. I think Pastor Donnie said it last week. We've got to get a little desperate for him. The ironic thing about being desperate for God is that if you're desperate for him, then, then it seems to me that you've taken a step away from him because now you're desperate for him. We often do that. The things in this world get in our way. They pull us away. But God, today, we give ourselves to you once again. We want intimacy with you. We want relationship with you. We lay down the things of this world. We lay them at your feet as though they are nothing. And we jump into your arms and we say, we want you more, Jesus. The beauty of that first silent night can only be uh, 
matched with the, the gloriousness of your second coming. When you roll back the sky, we want to be ready. I feel like we just need to sing something this morning. So I'm just going to sing. And we're going to do it a cappella this morning. So just join me. But as we sing this song in reference to the first arrival, let's think about the second arrival. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright, round yon virgin mother and child, holy infant so tender and mild, sleep in church, these altars are open. It's way early. And I don't know how this message maybe has stirred your heart, but if it has and you need to do some talking with God, you need to spend some time with him, you need to make some decisions in your life, just get up out of your seat and come down. Meet him here. I know we don't have a song playing. That's okay. You don't have to have a song playing to come to the altar. Lord Jesus, we give you our hearts and lives. Change us from the inside out. Make us who you want us to be. Open that door, God, of intimate relationship. It's already open, but make it clear to all of us, God. Draw us in like never before so that we can become ready for your second coming, even as we celebrate your first. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.